Welcome to the ministry of Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray this message by Pastor John Roberts is a blessing to you. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. I've been preaching on praying for revival, but yesterday during the celebration for Marge, I had already thought about coming into it. The word legacy kept coming to me. And I had, I don't know, several people that got up and, and spoke yesterday that mentioned uh, Pastor Leonard and, and Marge's legacy. And I just felt like the Lord spoke to me and, and said, just minister for a little while this morning about legacy. And um, technically, a legacy means it's a gift that's handed down from an ancestor or a predecessor predecessor and the thing that that I look at and and actually I put it in the the uh, bulletin this morning we all are leaving a legacy it's you know you you your life leaves footprints you you am you um, influence people and and that is your your legacy the question is and I put it there, three of them. What will it be? What will my legacy be? What should my legacy be? And then the third one, what will it actually be? Those aren't all the same thing. You know, you aim high. What was the old saying? Um, um, shoot for the moon. You might reach the second floor. But shoot for the top step pretty easy. We need to, to put our sights high, but we need to think about what is it I want to leave behind? What, is, what influence do I want to be? Now, our salvation is personal. It's individual. I'm going to stand before Jesus, and he is going to judge me personally. I, I, there is no group salvation. It doesn't exist. I don't get saved by a group. I can't lose my salvation through a group. Salvation is one-to-one. -one. But I, I do also have to recognize that how I live, whether I have a public voice, a private voice, I'm, I'm influencing somebody somewhere in some way. Hebrews 11.6 really gives us the, the summation of, of how we should attempt and, and do our best to live our lives. And if we live our lives this way, then our legacy will be pointed in the right direction. Very familiar scripture. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, referring to God. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement. I cannot live a life pleasing to God that isn't lived in faith. And then he goes on and, and, and gives you two reasons why that's true. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Obviously, first requirement of faith is you have to believe there is a God. If you believe there is no God, then why would you come to God? 
How can you have faith in a God that you don't believe exists? Now, I'll be honest with you, I, I, the, the, the longer I study people and study the word, the more I've come to realize there are a lot of people out in the world that say that they are atheists. They do not believe that there is a God. I think there's probably very few atheists out there, actually. There are a lot of people that are more agnostic, meaning they do believe there, there probably is a God. They just don't think he cares about them. They just don't think he's involved in the earth. That's because they've never read the Bible. They've, they, they've, they've listened to reports about the Bible from people. Well, this is what the Bible says. I remember uh, back in the day, and I, I was, I've, I've admitted this before, I was a pretty, I was a rounder before I came back and got involved and, and really dedicated my life to learn the Word and live by the Word. And when I first got back in church, um, the, the people I taught with, who was really most of my friend base, were really concerned about me. I'd fallen off the deep end. I'd got religion. I'd become a Bible thumper. I mean, dear Lord, I was going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And at that point, I was traveling 50 miles to get to church. And it was, what has happened to John? And they came to me, concerned, really concerned. One was a, a um, um, deacon in his church. And, and he was concerned that I was going a little overboard. And he told me, you, you, you know that uh, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. And I thought, I, and I was, I was such a baby Christian at that point. I mean, I, I had been in the Lord for a long time, but I, you're, you, sometimes your Christianity is based not on how long you've been a Christian, but how conformed your life is to Christ. And my life wasn't conformed to Christ much at all at that point. But I remember thinking, I don't know a lot, but I don't think that's in the Bible. And somebody had just given me a Strong's, and it was one of those great big library editions, weighed about 400 pounds, so I went looking. Turned out that Bible verse wasn't anywhere in the Bible. Well, sometimes that's what people make their opinion on faith and the, the existence of God and the nature of God on what people have told them about God instead of going to the source and figuring out what the source says about God. May that not be us, is my point. We have to go to the Word to figure out the nature of God, what God's done for us, how He has changed us, what He wants from us. I've said this from the time I, I stood in the first pulpit I ever stood in, and, and I got it from, from Kenneth E. Hagin. I'm called to preach the Word, but if I can't show you something in the Word, you are, well, well, two things. If I preach something, you're required to go search it out yourself. Do never take my word for anything. It does not mean keep your guard up. I don't know if I can trust what you say. It's not that kind of an attitude. But it is, I can't live off your revelation. I need to get in here and get my own revelation. I can tell you about the greatest steak I ever ate. If you don't go eat your own, you're not going to get any nourishment. 
You cannot get nourishment from what I eat. But I could point you and, and, and reveal to you things God's shown me, and then you go and say, God, how does that apply to me? But we have to get into it for ourselves. We have to get in and find out who he is. But the second part of that verse says, not only do we have to just simply believe that God exists and find out what his nature is, but we have to know that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And that word diligently, when I hear that, you know, growing up, being a good American, hard work, you know, if you're really going to succeed, you've got to work 15 hours a day, seven days a week. And, you know, when you get old, you can enjoy all the money you've accumulated. That's the vision of diligence, nose to the grindstone. That's not what that word means. That word means to be anxious to meet someone. And I've used the, the example, this is, this is when you, you tell a, a three- or a four-year-old that later on we're going to go get ice cream or we're going to get pizza. You pick the activity that they just, wow, it pushes their button. And you tell them this is coming, they start bouncing. They're excited. That's what this means. You are excited to get into the presence of God. You are excited to, to figure out who God is and get into his word. You, you want to have a relationship with him. Think of the first time you started dating and you were, quote-unquote, in love. That's what this is talking about. Now, here's our question, because there, 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 there are two parts to this, and I want us to look at, at, at the spiritual legacy that's been left us here at Faith Community, but I also want us to, to examine, because I've, I've seen this, and, and I've, I've used to laugh about it. When I went to Ramah, I was... 31 years old, had kids, you know, I went to class, but I worked full-time, so there were a lot of, there, there were two groups of students. There were the ones that just came out of high school in their early 20s. They worked a little bit, but they didn't have, I mean, you know, they shared a room. They didn't have a lot of expenses. If they got a piece of pizza every once in a while, they thought they were living high on the hog, and I had a family to support. So you, you had those two groups where one, it was school was a, a job, there was a purpose, and, you know, life was busy. But for, for some of the younger ones, it, it, it wasn't quite that way. But when you come in a little older, you, you learn that some things just aren't important, some things are very important. But it was always funny, because Brother Hagen was so respected. And he had a, um, how shall we say this? questionable taste in clothes his family used to say his favorite uh, sports coats were um, old horse blankets that they would refashion and they finally got him to allow other people to choose his wardrobe and he became very fashionable in the last 20 or so years of his ministry but new styles would come in and I remember in particular, and this was in the mid-'80s, there was one, it was this fabric that came in, they made suits out of it, and it, was, it, it really wasn't, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it was very unique. I had never seen this material. And Brother Hagen came to the platform one day, and he had this suit on. And it was, it, well, I say suit, it was a sport coat. It was gorgeous, it looked good. And I, but I noticed over the next month, Boy, those things started popping up in the student body. Everybody wanted a coat just like Brother Hagen. And, and nothing wrong with that. 
Nothing wrong with that at all. But I also realized they're copying the form, not the heart. Now, if you know Brother Hagin's testimony, um, um, he was on a bed of sickness. God revealed Mark 11, 23 and 24 to him. And over a period of months, he got a real revelation of it. God healed him. He got up off his sick bed. And he'd been paralyzed for years. And doctors had written him off, you have to die. And, and God healed him. But he also told a story later on. Years later, he had written a book about his testimony. And there was a guy that had, had heart problems, was in the hospital bed, was really sick. And the doctors were, you know, you have to stay in bed. You have to rest. Bed rest is what you need right now. And somebody gave him Brother Hagin's book. And he read about the, how God healed Brother Hagin and, and the scriptures. And he read through the book. And said, God's no respecter of persons. If he healed Kenneth E. Hagin, he'll heal me. And he pulled the covers up, got out of bed, walked halfway around the bed, fell flat on his face, dead. They took him off. They buried him. And it's like, why? God not a respecter of persons. Why? Why did that happen? It happened for one reason. He missed the point of the book. The book wasn't that God is a healer. God is a healer. But Brother Hagin took months and months and months of communing with God and communing over the Scriptures and praying about the Scriptures and, and, and going over it and over it until he got a revelation of it. And when he got a revelation of it, then he started to act it out. This guy thought he could live on, on someone else's revelation. Now, we have legacies. You all have legacies. Your, your, your parents or mentors or someone has spoken into your life and you've watched people live. And we need to make, be, be very careful not to take the form of their life, but find out what did they do to live that life of faith. And I, and I saw, I, I noticed a few things Yesterday, I, at the very end of this thing for Marge, I, I tried to sum up, and, and basically it was really easy. You have a very special lady who is very loved, and everybody in here has some story, but the, the, the theme I kept hearing and kept hearing and kept hearing is she was very gracious, and she was a woman of prayer. Arms open wide, but when you come in, into these arms, I'm going to pray for you and watch God work on you. You're not coming in without getting changed. Sometimes we, we mistake God's grace for God's acceptance. Now, He does accept us. He accepts me just as I am, period. But He loves me enough not to leave me as I am. But I get to choose how fast I change and how I change. And it's by my openness and my faith. Amen? So that we, we need to examine our, our personal legacy, legacy and our, our, our group legacy by the form, or not the form, but by the substance of, of what has happened. Go to, well, we were in Hebrews 11. Just back up to Hebrews chapter 10. This is, uh, I'm going to start in verse 15. 
But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us, for after he had said, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated, Jesus, through the veil, that is, through his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. We have things that God has called us to do. And we can look to, to those that have come before us. How did they accomplish those things? But it's the process that we are interested in. Notice what, what he said um, up in verse um, 16. I will put my laws into their hearts. He's quoting right there Ezekiel, actually twice in Ezekiel. Ezekiel eleven nineteen and Ezekiel 36, 26. Twice. Ezekiel preached to the, the, the nation of Judah after, before and after. He went into captivity with them. They're in captivity. In, in, in um, Ezekiel 7, or, or, yeah, ver, excuse me, Ezekiel chapter 11, when Ezekiel's preaching to them there, they're in captivity and he's rebuking them. He's telling them, this is why you're here. This is what you've done. This is what's happening. Shame on you, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. And in the middle of, the, of all that correction, he stops and says, but wait a minute, there's a time coming when I will take that stony heart out of your chest and I will put in a heart of flesh and I will write my laws on that heart of flesh. That's what Paul's quoting here. And then uh, uh, later on in Ezekiel chapter 36, he's blessing the people and saying, man, when you come out of here, when these sins are paid for, when, when the debt that you, that, that as a nation that you owed God is paid and you're going to go back, there will come a time where I will take out that heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh, and write my laws on, that, on your heart heart in other words and it, all of those are pointing to this time the church being born again he has taken that hard heartedness out of us if you're born again you have a, a soft heart well brother I've, I, there are times when i've hardened my heart well there are things that you might be blind to and you may be resistant to but it's not a heart problem a head problem that's why you need to renew your mind paul said you need to get your thinking get rid of your stinking thinking and get some new thinking most of our problems are are not the devil they're not our our uh our our hardness it's just that we have not gotten a revelation of who christ is yet but we keep digging keep digging keep pressing into him and, and those things will come. Amen? Psalm 73, verse 27 and 28. For indeed, those who are far from you, meaning far from God, shall perish. 
You have destroyed all those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God, for I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. God is saying to us, here's the, the, the answer to your problem. I didn't, I didn't reread it in, in Hebrews 10, but he's saying, enter into my presence with boldness. You got problems? Get in the throne room. That's where you're going to find your answer. You won't find your answer in a psychology book. Psychology is not bad. Sometimes psychology can give you in, insights into why you think the way you think. But your answer is not in psychology. Your answer is not in a pill bottle. Your answer is in Jesus. And the only place you're going to get that answer is to press into that throne room and get in His very presence and, and, and get into You do that through the Word. But when I do that, I do that so that I can put my trust, more trust in God and I can declare His works. James says the same thing. James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Therefore, submit to God. First act, i got to come to God. Lord, whatever you want, whatever your will, I'm submitting to you. Resist the devil. We have a part to play. Back him off. But when you resist the devil, know that he's going to flee from you. He doesn't have a choice. We need to quit being afraid. Oh, the devil's after me. The devil's after me. I used to run. I know it doesn't look like it. But I did. I, I used to run a lot. Well, we had several dogs in our neighborhood. So just out of self-defense, I used to carry a, a three-eighths inch dowel rod that was about three feet long. Because if the big dogs came out, I wanted something between me and them, and I wanted something to keep them off of me. But there were little dogs, and little dogs are worse than big dogs. And they would just come in, they'll nip at your heels and nip at your heels, and they got sharp little teeth. They'll do some damage. So I just kind of got used that as I was run past a couple of different houses that um, when the dogs came out, you couldn't stop. I mean, you quit running, walk backwards for half a mile because they keep following you. But I learned you just keep running and you just every once in a while just swat the stick back there and they'll normally stay off. Well, one day, the little dog decided he was really going to be brave and he came after a heel by the time I swatted him, swatted back and I whacked him a good one. And I heard a yelp, and then I heard a off in the distance. Now, don't feel too angry at me. I didn't kill the dog. I just gave him a little whack with a stick, keep him from biting me. That's the devil in your life. Remember, he's already been stripped of all authority. He's already been stripped of all power. He is an empty shell. He is, goes about as a roaring lion. He's got a big mouth and no weapons. The only weapon of any, of, of any power that he has access to is your mouth. If it gets you to talk against yourself, he'll enforce your words. So just resist him. And when you do, he's going to run off like that little dog, yelping. Mommy, help me. Back in James. Four, seven. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he, will, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is what God is saying to Christians. James writing to Christians. He's saying, look, 
Keep yourself clean. Uh, Pastor Leonard, and I, I, I didn't know Pastor Leonard, but, but I've, I've heard several of his sayings over the years. He had a, a saying that he kept always said, keep a short account. What's that mean? Keep a short account. I mean, stay close to God. When God calls you on something, don't, don't justify yourself. It means get in front of Him and, and cleanse your hands. But here's the most important part. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Get rid of your stinking thinking. When you and the Word disagree, agree with the Word. Understand, any difference of opinion between you and the Bible, the Bible's right and you're wrong. Every time. Sometimes we, we read things in the Bible and we may not say it out loud, we may not really think it out loud, but really we go, that's almost too good to be true. You know what? It is too good to be true. Except it is true. So just accept it, believe it, anxiously pursue Him and pursue His gifts. He is a rewarder. These aren't things that we're trying to force out of God. God is willingly, He wants you to be blessed more than you want to be blessed. This is His desire for us. When you think of this, what I just said there with, um, well, the other thing that, that Pastor Leonard, I've heard him, that was one of his favorite sayings, was all you need is a little more Jesus. And I thought, when I first heard that, I thought, well, wait a minute. When I got born again, I got all of Jesus there was. Well, technically that's true. But he didn't get all of me yet. I mean, technically he did. I'm fully his. I'm a brand new creature. But there are areas that I had to grow up in. There are areas that I have to get sanctified in. There are areas that I have to be transformed in. The heart of me is brand new. But the rest of me has to grow in grace. Paul says that several places. The rest of me has to grow in faith. That happens as I pursue him. That's part of our legacy. When you look back at, at this church and you, and you think of Pastor Leonard, don't look at, 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 at the personality. Don't look at, at well, the, these were his favorite saints. Look at the process that he went through. He prayed. He studied. He sought God. That's the legacy that we have. Praying, seeking God, saying, God, reveal to me, what do you want? What do you want me to have? What do you want me to do? What, where are we going? Where am I going? What do I need to do in this situation? You know, Jesus, when he was talking in, in the Gospel of John, he was talking about the, the, when the Holy Spirit comes. He's one of the things he said about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. He will show you things to come. God will start giving you inklings. This is where you need to go. This is what you need to deal with. That's the legacy is seeking God. It's keeping a short account. Think of, of, of 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to come before Him and say, Lord, I missed it one more time. You learn to do that quickly. 
See, the tendency of our natural mind is if we do something and, and we realize that this, isn't, this wasn't right, I just crashed and burned big time. And I didn't crash and burn by accident. I steered myself over in the ditch willingly because I was trying to hit that guy I didn't really like, trying to take him out. And I crashed my car doing it. And I'm sitting there with all with a, in a wreck. Sometimes we do those things. We get to see in personalities and we get to see in people and we, we decide we're going to go. I'm going to go deal with this, deal with this person. And then you end up in a mess. What do you do when, when those things happen? You go to God. Lord, I did it again. I did it again. When you do that, he is faithful. It's not your faithfulness. It's his faithfulness. He will forgive and cleanse. He doesn't, he doesn't forgive and cleanse so that we can just stand holy and show off, put our, you know, like the, 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 the guy that uh, his church gave him a, a, a pen for uh, being the most humble person in the church. He put it on and it'd take, it, take it back away. He was proud of it. We don't need, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about just saying in front of God. But then realizing that when I messed up, God, he doesn't just forgive me, but we, sometimes we want to beat ourselves up. You know, we don't, as good um, um, Protestants, we don't believe in purgatory. Except on a practical basis. Purgatory for us is right now. I sinned, I screwed up, I asked God to forgive me, I believe God forgave me, but... I'm not forgiving myself just yet. I got to pay a little more. I got to beat myself up a little more. No, when he forgives, he cleanses. Put it under the blood, walk away from it. He does that not because he, he, he discounts and, and thinks that sin is no big deal. He does it so we can step back in service and get back to work. It, it, it's his faithfulness. And then also in, in 1 Timothy um, one fifteen, he said, Timothy says, this is a faithful saying of word and worthy of all acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Paul recognized that he started out about as low as they could. He persecuted the church. There are a lot of historical accounts said he, he killed people, Christians, persecuted them to death. That's why they feared him so much. And he dealt with that most of his ministry. But he got beyond it. And he said, this isn't, this isn't just about me. This isn't just that, that I started this, but Jesus came to save people just like me. And I started lower than any of the apostles, and look where God's exalted me to. It's, it's, it's that process. And then the... the, the, the um, thing I, I heard in particular about Marge, it was this legacy of, of being a person of prayer. And in Philippians 4, verse 6 through 9, this is Paul. He said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which sur surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and your minds through Jesus Christ. You want to live a life of peace? 
You want a, 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 a life without anxiousness? You know, pharmaceutical companies are making not a small fortune, a huge fortune on anti-anxiety medications because people are just anxious. Right here. Be anxious for nothing. It's a command. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You go to God and say, Lord, this is my need. And I thank you that you've already met that need. I've requested it. I've got it. It's done. And then the peace of God. Which surpasses understanding. I don't understand how that can be. That's okay. You don't understand what happens when you turn the key on in your car either. I guarantee you, none of you uh, fully understand the chemistry of, and, and, and the, the physical relations of, of expanding gases and pressures and, and how the lubricants do what they do. We may have a basic understanding of, of engines. None of it's very deep. But I still put my key in my car and it takes me places. I don't have to understand it. Just drive it. That's all God's saying. He's saying, quit trying to figure me out. And then the, um, my final scripture is how Paul ends the uh, book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 6, it's not the final verse, but it, it's towards the end. He's, been, he's gone through the entire armor of God and, and talked about how to stand, how to do warfare, spiritual warfare. Verse 18, he says, praying with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. All prayers have to be directed by the Spirit. If you're not praying Spirit-led prayers, now, some of that sometimes is praying in tongues, but you can have a Spirit-led prayer without praying in tongues. You get into the Word and you pray the Word. I've said this, I know some of you are sick of hearing me say it, but out on that welcome center, I have all of Paul's prayers typed out on one side, on the other side is how you pray those prayers over yourself. I'm telling you, if you will take one of those sheets, pray those three prayers out of Colossians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and Ephesians chapter 3. Those are God-inspired prayers that Paul prayed over the church at Colossae and over the church at Ephesus. If you will pray over those, pray those over yourself. Pray them out loud so you can hear it. They will change your life. You will see things that you've never seen. You will get revelations that you've never never had before because you're praying what God prays for you. I mean, let's face it, Paul, Paul wrote it, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God to write it. God's saying, here's three prayers that I want to pray for you. So pray them. Praying with all. Praying always. That means there's never a time when prayer is not important. Prayer precedes everything, feeds it while you're in the middle of it, and ends it with prayer. Prayer starts, ends, and is the middle of every activity you should be in. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We need to pray that last one over ourselves. Lord, 
I need boldness. I need boldness to stand up in my own prayer time and say, Lord, you promised this for me. I'm going to have it, and the devil's not going to steal from thee. The devil's not going to take this from me anymore. I, my brain is going a 1,000 miles an hour in a 1,000 directions at once, but you said in Philippians to be anxious for nothing, so I'm casting the care of this over on you. He said that. Cast your cares on me, for I care for you. Literally, that, that word casting there means to body slam. It's not picking it up gently, setting it over here. No. It's like you see on wrestling, if you, if you still watch wrestling. Wrestling is what college students do with rules. Wrestling is what they do on a trampoline, and they pick people up and body slam them. That's the picture. Slam your cares over on the, on, on the Lord because you're not designed to care for him. But if you will let him care for him, you can be anxious for nothing. You can walk through life carefree. Would that we all would do that. Last point. We started out this with Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Faith is the key for all of this. But faith is faith for the journey, not just faith for the outcome. Now, I'm believing for the outcome. If God says that I've healed you, I'm believing to be healed and see it manifested. But between when I pray and believe that I receive and when I see it manifested, there's a journey. And sometimes there is a distance between the prayer and the request and the manifestation because God wants to grow you up. And the, it's the process of walking that out, casting the care, learning not to be anxious, but staying in faith, realizing I was in faith about this and I slipped and running to 1 John and saying, God, I, 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 I got over. I'm just, all I'm doing is talking problem. I'm talking the problem. And he says, well, quit talking the problem. Yes, sir. And get over here and start talking the answer. And get back on the scriptures that he gave you to, 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 to answer the problem, the situation you're facing. It's that process that God wants us, because in the process, we grow. And in the process, we, we become more conformed to the likeness of Christ on the inside of us. If we, if, if we try to short-circuit the process, we, we're not seeking God. We're seeking a magic wand. We're wanting to rub in and take Buddha and rub his belly and get your wish. We're wanting to take a coin and throw it in the fountain. I got my wish. Well, God's not a, a, God's not a Buddha belly. God's not a magic wand. He's not a fountain, a wishing fountain. God is the, the, the master of the universe, and he says, you have to, I, what I desire is for you to come into my presence and stay in my presence and walk this thing out so you know how to face the next circumstance that's coming down here and you'll be a little stronger and I can use you a little more in this than I could use you here because you need to grow up in this thing. You see it with kids. You know, we, we, we lament about some of the things that the, 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 the present generation, the millennials, Oh, they're so, they're so tender-hearted. You know, reason, some of the reasons they need safe spaces and they think they need all this, because as parents, 
We, we failed them because we never would let them fail. We wouldn't let them skin their knees. We wouldn't let them get whacked hard. You know, I've seen this on several places in the last few years. You know, it's a miracle that our gener my generation survived. We didn't have bicycle helmets. We had monkey bars that were 30 feet tall and, and had gravel underneath them. I mean, the, you look at it, we ran the neighborhoods day and night. Well, that, that, back then it was safer. I'm not sure it was safer at all. We just didn't worry about it. And we learned to, when you fell, you picked yourself up and you brushed yourself on. And, and, and you get a little tough. Kids today, they, they're, they're wrapped in bubble wrap. Nobody wants to let them have, get any bruises, and they're, they're, they're growing up weak. We're in that same process spiritually. God's given us a promise, and we've got a challenge, and we need to grow in that process and stay in faith and continue in faith until we see the outcome that God promised, but it's that process where we grow. And that's what he wants us to do. Grow. Grow in grace. Grow in faith. When we do that, that's when you get the trophy. That's when, you, that's when God says, good job. You believed me, even when it was hard. Especially when it's hard. But just keep in mind what we prayed in, in, in um, or read in Psalm 30 during our prayer time. Sometimes when times are prosperous, you pull back and you think, I got this. No, you don't. You are walking on a slippery tightrope. And you th just because it's not wiggling right then does not mean it's not capable of wiggling. And you need to stay tuned in then. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this message has blessed you, we invite you to visit us in person at the corner of Highway 31 South and Southport Road, Indianapolis, Indiana, or visit us online at FCCIndianapolis.com.